So we have been celebrating the Advent season the last four weeks. Uh, each year we preach through a series of messages coinciding with Advent. And uh, this is the season of expectation, the season of longing. And so we celebrate and remember his first Advent, the Advent of Christ, while eagerly awaiting his second Advent, when King Jesus will return. This year we've looked at Isaiah 9-6 for our Advent series, which we entitled, A Child is Born. And we looked at the four names given to Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Tonight, as we celebrate Christmas together, the birth of this child that Isaiah spoke of, we again turn to Isaiah 9, where I want to draw your attention to another portion of this passage in this message that I've entitled, Jesus the Dayspring. Now, I know that word dayspring is not necessarily a common word that we use today, but we'll get to it. I'll explain what it means in a little bit here. So one of the things that I always love about Christmas and the thing that I remember very fondly at this time of year uh, is as a child, I was always fascinated by the lights on the tree. You know, we'd put the lights up on the Christmas tree, and I would crank up some Mannheim steamroller, <laughs> grab my G.I. Joes and Star Wars action figures, and play with them around the Christmas tree. And they would be fighting epic wars and battles, ziplining down those strings of lights. And of course, I don't do that anymore. Chanel told me I had to stop. I mean, I gave that up last year. So, um, but yeah, I always loved it when, when we had the tree up and the lights were decorated. And it was just beautiful. And I always loved it when my parents would load us up in the van and we would drive around and look at Christmas lights. It would be dark and cold, but those lights would break through the stillness of night. They would shine, shine out bright over the darkness and the gloom. We took Olive out the other night. We got her all ready for bed. We did the normal routine, and then we said, all right, go get your shoes on. We're going for a ride. And uh, she was a little confused. I was a little confused, uh, but it doesn't take much these days. Uh, but we, we drove around, and, and you know, the thing about the lights nowadays, and maybe maybe you're there, maybe you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you participate in this. They're so much more elaborate than they were when I was a kid. And now I sound like Louie back when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, they've got inflatables. They've got, I, we went by one house that has like projection mapping, where it's this projection that is like mapped out to the house, and they're running the Disney happily ever after. Um, I can show you where that is if you're wondering, Mike. Um, but it, it's cool. But I think that my, my favorite lights still are just those simple twinkle lights. Um, you know, I've, I've always loved the multicolored ones, but you know, I, I love just the, the twinkle lights just on the house, decorated, it's beautiful, it's, it's peaceful as the light shines out through the darkness. Let's read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon, and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, uh, first of all, that we are able to gather here together tonight to celebrate the birth of this child that was promised 700 years uh, before his birth by Isaiah here. I ask that you would prepare our hearts, that we would receive him, even if we are believers this evening, that we would grow, that we'd be encouraged and blessed by it. And for those here who might not be believers, that their hearts would be prepared to receive him. Lord, I thank you for this light that has shone, dispelling all the darkness and gloom. And it's in his name that we pray this evening. Amen. So we see in verses 1 and 2 that Isaiah writes in a setting of darkness and gloom. In verse 1, he speaks of gloom. And in verse 2, he writes about a people who sat in darkness. And back just a chapter over in Isaiah 8, verse 22, he wrote, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So as we've mentioned a few times over the last four weeks, Isaiah, in writing this, uh, when he wrote this, it was 700 years before Jesus would be born. So this birth announcement about this coming king was super early. Uh, Definitely a lot earlier than the birth announcement will be uh, when my little one, Schnell's little one, will get here. So uh, don't be looking for that anytime soon. It'll just be on Instagram. But this birth announcement is about the coming Messiah. And when Isaiah wrote this, he had an intended audience in mind. He wasn't thinking of the audience that would read it 2,700 years later. There was an audience for this book, and those people that he was ministering to were sitting in darkness and in gloom. So who were these people? Well, Isaiah mostly prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah. But here he's speaking of some of the northernmost tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom, Zebulon and Naphtali. In chapter 9, verse 1, we'll read that again. He wrote, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. One commentator wrote that during biblical times, this area was always a hodgepodge of people from different nations, including Hebrews, Hittites, and others. Moreover, the ancient inland empires that sought to control Palestine always invaded this part of Canaan first, meaning that the northern regions of the Promised Land suffered repeatedly during biblical times. So this area suffered often when nations would invade from the north. Um, This was the first place that they stopped. They were first in line for attack. 
This phrase, Galilee of the nations, has to do with the mix of cultures that existed uh, in this region. People from other nations inhabited this region as well as the Jewish people. People like the Phoenicians, the Syrians, and the Sidonians, as well as the Hittites. So there was a lot of contempt for this, this area, the people that lived there. They were considered a backwards people, an unsophisticated people. My kind of people. You know, speaking of unsophisticated, you know, Mike and I didn't coordinate today. So when he shows up in a suit coat and I'm wearing my typical uniform of flannel, um, you know, I guess I'm the unsophisticated one. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where that was going. But um, yeah, so Isaiah prophesied during this time that the Assyrians, um, he prophesied during the time that the Assyrians devastated this region of Zebulon and Naphtali. They began their conquest in these areas, these two tribes. What we see here in Isaiah's prophecy, when you look at the context of chapter 8 and into these verses of chapter 9, that in the time of Isaiah, what he calls the former times, this area of really new gloom, darkness, and distress. But way back in chapter 2 of his book, they were offered the light. They were offered the light of God, and they rejected that light. In chapter 5, Isaiah shows us that they chose to dwell in the darkness that they were in by openly rejecting the light. So this suffering that they are experienced was brought about by their sin. They had nothing but darkness all around them wherever they turned. But there was coming a day, and what Isaiah calls the latter times, when the coming Messiah would turn their gloom to glory. No more contempt and no more darkness. They longed for this promise. And we sang about this in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'm going to quote um, the third verse of the more traditional uh, arrangement of it, which says, O come thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by thy drying, drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. There was coming a light. That light is Jesus. The sun of righteousness would shine. 700 years after the prophecy of Isaiah, the darkness and gloom still remained, though. It still remained. The people still sat in darkness. And it was into this same setting that Jesus was born. A world ruled by darkness and sin. Now, it's important that we not understate this. I'm not simply portraying this as a battle of dark versus light, where the good guys ultimately win. This darkness that humanity sits in is because of sin. Man has sinned, and in the corruption of the fallen nature that we're all born in, we actually find ourselves desiring darkness. The Bible shows us in Ephesians 2 our fallen condition, and the manner of our life lived out in that darkness. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In our fallen state, we are dead. We're dead to the light. We're dead to true life. We chase after the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body. 
Jesus says in John 3 that we love the darkness and reject the light. John three nineteen through 20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so it's into this world of people rejoicing in darkness that the light shines. John says in the first chapter of his account of the life of Jesus that Jesus is the light breaking through the darkness. John 1, 9-13, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we've seen, if you've uh, been with us these last four weeks, we've seen these four names listed in Isaiah 9-6, how they clearly display Christ's character and how he relates to us. And it's incredible to see how these Old Testament prophecies that were written so many years before the birth of Christ, see how they're fulfilled in his life. And tonight we've really been focusing on just the first two verses of Isaiah 9. And I want us to see just how Jesus fulfilled these words in Isaiah. So let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Now this is right after John the Baptist had been arrested. He's been thrown into prison. Verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the sea, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see in this a wonderful mercy. The land that Isaiah prophesied about, that was full of gloom, suffering, darkness, and distress, is where Jesus begins his earthly ministry. The place that would have been first in line to receive judgment and attack was the first place to receive the gospel, to hear the words proclaimed of Christ. They're the first to see the great light of God's deliverance in Jesus. Isaiah wrote 700 years before these events, but he knew that the light that was coming was the Messiah who would dispel all the darkness and gloom of sin. Jesus, the one he spoke of, fulfills this with great care and intentionality by coming first to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. For 30 years he dwelt at Nazareth in Zebulun. And there he had first come forward to teach in a synagogue. And you can read about that in Luke 4. Then he went to Capernaum by the sea where he would do his first miracles. It's all throughout this region that his ministry begins. It's a place of low estate. He ministers to those in darkness, announcing that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. God would have been just to reject his people. 
It would have been just to leave them in the darkness and death that they had chosen for themselves, not only in Isaiah's day, but also in his day. But he is a merciful and gracious God. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We see in what Jesus is doing something incredible about his very heart. Instead of seeking the rich, the powerful, the elite, the political, the wealthy, Caesar. He goes to those who are lowly and needy. Those who are sitting in the shadow of death. Matthew 4.17 says that Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And just a few verses later in verse 23, Matthew says he went preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So what was Jesus proclaiming? This message of the kingdom means that with his own coming to earth, God's saving rule and reign has come near in a way that has never happened before in all of humanity. He means that God's promises to establish his kingdom are beginning to be fulfilled. And that God will one day usher in a new creation. Jesus was showing that what had been prophesied before by many, what he had come to do, had begun as he began to walk headlong towards Calvary. Fundamentally, it's a a message of what Jesus has done to save sinners. So this time of year, we remember and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We sing songs about baby Jesus lying in a manger. And it's wonderful. It's good. Because it's in this strange and yet wonderful way that we see the dawn of his redeeming grace. The light begins to show. In a moment, we're going to dim the lights and light the candles and we're going to sing Silent Night. The third verse of that song says this. Silent night, holy night. Son of God, love's pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face. With dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. In Luke 1, there's this really amazing prophecy given by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, after John had been born. He prophesied that his son John uh, would go before the Lord. He would be um, a, a way maker. He would prepare the way. In Luke 1, 76 through 79, Luke writes, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sat in darkness. And in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. In verse 78 he says. At least in the English standard version. uh, That the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now maybe you have a King James version of the Bible. It says day spring. And that's the word that I used in the title of this message, Jesus, the day spring. And it's this archaic word that we just don't use anymore, but I'm totally going to use it from now on. Uh, Every time there's a sunrise or dawn breaking through, I'm just going to shout out, it's day spring, come hither. (laughs) And no one will respond to that when I do that. But um, 
But this word dayspring means sunrise. It means dawn breaking through the darkness. Jesus is the dayspring. But we are not ultimately saved by Jesus simply coming to earth. We're not saved by his birth. Certainly this is a key part of it. But we are saved by what Jesus came to do. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's in that that you have the forgiveness of sins. The Bible is clear as it was in Isaiah's day and in the day when Jesus came in human flesh. Today we too still sit in darkness and gloom because of sin. We're still experiencing the darkness that our sin has caused. You and I are born dead in sin and trespasses. You're unable to dispel the darkness on your own. But the light has come. The day spring has shined down. I read the first few verses of Ephesians 2 just a bit ago. It spoke of our fallen condition. But there's more. There's good news. And so I want to read the rest of that. I'll start back at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's good news. If you've not received this amazing gift, the gift of salvation, I just want to invite you this evening to repent, to believe the good news that Jesus has died, he was buried, and risen for the forgiveness of your sins. He is still dispelling the darkness and gloom of our hearts. And you can receive his righteousness. You can live in his marvelous light. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Believer, this message is for you as well. Because darkness and gloom still has the tendency to creep in. And so I just want to encourage you this evening to consider what is said in the gospel. To consider the good news and remember Christ once more. Be encouraged this evening. The darkness and gloom of sin have been conquered by Christ. The day spring. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we bless you that when the fullness of time had come, you sent forth your Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption. We bless you that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, that he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly, and that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I ask, Father, that you would continue to shine the light of salvation on hearts that have been darkened by sin. Awaken faith and grant life to those dead in their sin. We thank you for your amazing grace and your wonderful mercy. And it's in Jesus' name, the name that is above every other name we pray. Amen.